For our communion service this morning, we're setting aside Matthew, and I'm going to set aside Matthew for the next couple of times I preach. We'll be getting back into it, and uh, there will be occasional interruption of that lengthy series. Um, I anticipate one interruption in September. But for today, if you will, turn to Leviticus, Leviticus, the 16th chapter. And I'm going to take into consideration the entire chapter, but only read a small portion of it as we begin. There is so much detail in this chapter, of course, it could not all be preached in one sermon, but nonetheless, this, the, broad, the broad scope we will take into consideration. Let us pray briefly before reading. Heavenly Father, as we come to the Word, the Word of the Lord that was given to Moses and is given to us by divine inspiration, inerrant in the whole and in the part. We ask that the Holy Spirit will illumine our hearts so that we may receive Christ who is so clearly portrayed here in this wondrous chapter, and that coming to the table of the Lord, your people may be may be more deeply instructed in who Jesus is and what he has done, but also that we may be filled with love and gratitude. And Father, for those who may be in our midst today who are strangers to grace, who do not know you, may they see that they need a great high priest and that the only Redeemer and Savior is the one who atoned for the sins of sinners, and that is Jesus Christ. Bless, therefore, that the Holy Spirit will open hearts and apply to hearts and use your wonderful word as you have promised, that your word will not return unto you void, but will accomplish the purpose to which you send it. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Leviticus chapter 16, verses 20 through 22. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins, and he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. The word of the Lord. No one can come to the Father but by me said our Lord Jesus Christ. And the scriptures make plain that the only entrance into the presence of the living and true God is by way of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. No fellowship can happen with God unless our sins are forgiven. We cannot come into his presence and be received and accepted unless our sins have been pardoned through the value of the blood of Jesus Christ. Atonement must be made for the soul. And so we come to this chapter, Leviticus 16, and we find that every year, once per year, the high priest entered into the most holy place to make atonement for the sins of Israel. But of course, this was a type. The word type simply means that it was a symbolic forecast of the gospel. It pointed beyond itself to the only one who could really atone for sins, and that was Christ himself, showing in this chapter that the blood opens the way into the presence of the living and true God, and only through blood, the blood of Christ, can we be saved. 
And so once per year, the high priest drew back the veil to the Holy of Holies and entered where there was the Ark of the Covenant containing the law that we sinners broke to make atonement for the sins of the people and to point to the great atoner of sins, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the first thing that I want you to see as we think about this chapter, and again, I'm summarizing, I've not read the entire chapter in large measure because of our communion service this morning. But the first thing to see is that the high priest entered into the presence of God. And the high priest entered into the presence of God, first of all, divested of his glory. Ordinarily, he would have been clothed in his splendid garments from head to toe, from his turban all the way to his feet. But he put off those robes of glory and beauty, prefiguring the Lord Jesus Christ, who would come into this world in servant form. There we have Christ in his full manhood who bore a crown of thorns, who was mocked in a purple robe, whose naked body hung upon a cross as he bore the wrath of God in our place, divested of his visible glory, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, became true man, divested of his glory. The high priest entered in that way, but also the high priest entered into the presence of God spotlessly. He had put off his glorious robes of splendor, and the text tells us that he put on the holy linen garments, spotlessly white, in order that he might, in the simplicity of his dress, appear as the one who is spotless. You see, he was human. He was a sinful priest. His own sins, as we shall see, needed atoning for, but only a spotless high priest could ensure acceptance, pointing to the one of whom we read in the Bible, he hath made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. The high priest entered divested of glory spotlessly, but also the high priest entered into the most holy place alone, alone. As we read in verse 17, no one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. The high priest was alone. All the offices of that day had to be had to be performed by the high priest. Presumably, if there was bread to be changed on the table of showbread, he did it. If there was frankincense to be added to the mixture of incense, he did it. If there was a sacrifice to be offered, and there were many sacrifices on that day, he must do it all. Again, pointing to the one who alone can save from sin, who alone can redeem our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, who tread the winepress of the wrath of God alone, who entered into darkness alone, who bore our hell alone, for only he could do it. No one else could have atoned for your sins. No one else could have done this great thing of saving you but the Lord Jesus, our great high priest. But the high priest also entered into the presence of God laboriously. And if you were to take this text and read other texts with it, and you begin to see how much the high priest had to do on this day, all of the sacrifices, all of the the blood spilling and blood sprinkling and all that happened on this day, it almost seems as if it's too much for one man to have accomplished, too much for one man to have done. Well, how great is the work of your high priest for you? access into the presence of God through the greatest work that has ever been accomplished on the face of the globe or in the entire universe, 
Jesus' work was work for Him that it might be sheer grace to you. It was work for Him that it might be sheer mercy to you. You receive it without work because He accomplished the deed of bearing the wrath of God in the place of sinners. But also, the high priest entered into the presence of God annually. Now, you might recall that the lambs were sacrificed morning and evening, perpetually offered on the altars of ancient Israel, reminding the people that they always needed a sacrifice. But in Leviticus 16, we have the Day of Atonement. This happened once per year, pointing to the fact that Christ died once. Once for all, the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. Oh, don't you see your Savior in all of these things as the high priest enters into the presence of God himself in these marvelous ways? The second thing I want you to see, however, we need to distinguish out, is that the high priest himself needed a sin offering. He first must offer for himself and atone for himself before there can be atonement for the people. And so he slays the sin offering, he fills the bowl with blood, he takes the coals from the altar and sprinkles the incense, putting a veil between himself and God. The text says that he might not die, but also showing that the sacrifice was accepted. He enters into the most holy place and sprinkles the blood on the mercy seat, showing, as old Andrew Bonner put it, the law is magnified, Jehovah glorified, the sinner justified. That's what that great offering showed. But you see, in this, the high priest of ancient Israel was unlike your great high priest, Jesus. In this, he was unlike Jesus, for the high priest was a sinful, fallen human being who only prefigured and pictured Christ to come. But Jesus, your great high priest, was sinless in the whole and in the part. He was sinless spotless as a sacrifice offered unto God. No sin needing removal. And this teaches us this great and wonderful truth, that there was only one good enough to pay the price of sin. Someone here, you're still confused over this matter. You think there's something you can do, something you can offer that might make you acceptable with God, that somehow you can twist the arm of God, that he will let you into his heaven when you die because you have been a good person and done so many good things. But all that is done outside of the value of the blood of Christ is sin in the sight of God. And we are not acceptable except through the blood of Jesus Christ. And only a sinless sacrifice could achieve and accomplish that. And so the high priest in ancient Israel needed a sin offering, pointing to the sin offering who needed no sin offering for himself. And that's Jesus, your great high priest. But will you thirdly see as we think of this text that the sin offering for the people was offered by the great high priest? We read in verses 15 and 16, Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil, and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness. Now let me explain this. 
The text tells us that there were two goats that were part of a single offering. Two goats, one offering. One shows the means of atonement, which is sacrifice. The other shows the effects of the atonement, the removal of sin. They were presented together. The Lord determined by lot which of the two goats would be slain. And they were presented at the door of the tabernacle because entrance into God's presence must be through his provision. Only he can provide for entrance into his presence. And about that offering in this chapter, we read some wonderful things. First of all, we read that the offering was unblemished. Again, pointing to the unblemished, spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Unblemished because Jesus had no sin. Now, some of you think, well, it's human to sin. It's not. It's contrary to everything that it means to be human to sin. Adam was fully human before he fell into sin. Sin is destructive of all that it means to be human. Christ came in many ways and many reasons, of course, we could unpack this, but he came to restore that fallen humanity. And only an unblemished sacrifice could bear the wrath of God that we deserve because of our sin. And so the sacrifice that is brought by the high priest is unblemished. But also, it was a slaughtered sin offering. See it. Think about it in your mind. There is Aaron the high priest in his spotless linen garments there with his knife, and he slaughters the animal. You see You see it struggled. You see the blood that's gushing forth. This is not a pretty picture. It's not intended to be a pretty picture because ultimately it's pointing ahead to something that is so far greater that it would have been almost unimaginable to them, and it is intriguing and wonderful for us. It points to a Savior, God himself, who became man, who offered himself on a cross. Do you see him there in his blood, in his agony, in his sweat? Do you see him on the cross? Do you hear God saying it pleased the Lord to crush him, putting him to grief? He was slaughtered in the place of sinners because we deserve to be slaughtered for our sin. He was slaughtered because he, being the infinite Son of God, was capable in his finite sufferings of removing the infinite curse that was against us. Only he could do that as he bore God's punishment The law's curse in the place of sinners like you and like me. And then we see something else. We see that the high priest took the blood and he took it within the veil and sprinkled it on the mercy seat seven times before the Lord, the text says, showing its perfection, providing the perfect standing of the people of God. The most holy place was filled with the cry of blood. There was blood everywhere. The most holy place where God's special presence was filled with blood, the blood crying out for the guilty that the guilty might be pardoned, the Lord dwelling between the cherubim. Do you recall, there's the Ark of the Covenant. The veil is removed, the high priest enters, there's the Ark of the Covenant in which is contained the the broken pieces of the law of God, the law of God that we broke. There is the law of God. And these great, Massive cherubim with their wings bent down, looking down as if God himself is dwelling in special presence among the cherubim, and they're looking down at the Ark of the Covenant with the broken law of God. But now what do they see? They see no broken law. They see blood. 
God, looking down, sees no broken law. He sees a people who are forgiven of their sins through the blood of Jesus. Not through the blood of bulls and goats, but through Jesus. He sees that that broken law has been kept by Him. That the broken law's penalty has been met by Him for sinners like you and me. And so here the cherubim do not look down upon sinners, but upon the saved. God forgiving sins through the blood. And that should be pointed out. That what is happening here is atonement through blood. Now, children, it's not the whole of it, but it's a good part of it. And it's a good thing to remember to take the word atonement and just separate it out and to think it means at one meant. You are made at one with God by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Atonement is made on this altar of sacrifice. There's sin everywhere. There's sin in the human race. There was sin in ancient Israel. There's sin in my mind, sin in my heart, sin in my deeds. But to what does all of this bloodletting point? Hebrews 9.12 Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption. In the words of old Robert Murray McShane, dealing with a different text, he says so wonderfully, Sinners were sinking beneath the red-hot flames of hell. Christ plunged in and swam through the awful surge and gathered His own into His bosom. The sword of justice was bare and glittering, ready to destroy us. He opened His bosom and let the stroke fall on Him. We were set up as a mark for God's arrows of vengeance. Jesus came between and they pierced him through and through. Every arrow that should have pierced our souls stuck fast in him. Atonement. Christ bearing the just vengeance of the law of God against our sins. But also what is pictured here is the heavenly high priestly work of Christ. And this is something wonderful to dwell upon people of God that having once for all sacrificed Himself for our sins, Jesus ascended on high as our great high priest, and your priest has taken His own blood within the veil. There He is, His nail-scarred hands, His own merit pleading for you, believer. There He is now, your heavenly high priest merit crying out in effectual grace. That sinner, that sinner for whom I shed my blood, that sinner that I redeemed, that sinner that I die, that I, for whom I died, that sinner shall not die under the curse of the law of God. See him as righteous as I am righteous. See him as pure as I am pure through my own shed blood. That's what Jesus, your priest, does for you now. But then I want you to see, fourthly, the effects of the atonement. Now, we read in this passage, as we did earlier at the beginning, this wonderful thing of the imputation. Aaron the high priest stands over the goat and he places his hands upon the head of the goat. There is a symbolic transfer of the sins of the people to the sinless substitute. A symbolic transfer of the sins of the people to this sacrificial victim. My crimes were transferred 
referred to Jesus. He was made a curse in my place. He became my substitute bearing my sins in my place. And the result? Well, look at verses 21, 22 again. Aaron shall lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Can't you see? There's the goat. My sins, think of yourself as an ancient Israel. My sins have now been placed upon that goat, and you see it. Walking slowly away, being led away, 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 until you cannot see it anymore. Away from the special abode of the presence of God where we think of his justice. Away, away, away into the wilderness. Complete atonement, complete removal of sin. Do you remember these passages? Psalm 103, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. Do you remember this word from Isaiah 43? I, I am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and I will not remember your sins. Do you remember this from Isaiah 44? I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud, and your sins like mist return to me, for I have redeemed you. Do you remember this from Micah? Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever, because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. That's what we have here with this scapegoat taken way, way into the wilderness. As old Patrick Fairburn in his book on typology says, here we have our sin considered in everlasting oblivion. There is no record of my sin in God's court any longer. Judicially, no sin is found upon me any longer because it is found upon my sacrifice who shed his blood on the cross and his own perfect righteousness has been placed upon me. Great exchange has happened. Righteousness, complete and perfect, has been wrought by our sin bearer on the cross. But now notice the finality of it. The finality. Well, we read in verse 23, Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and shall take off the linen garments that he put on when he went into the holy place, and he shall leave them there. (laughs) Blood besmirched, he leaves them there. Why? Because the sin offering has been offered. Because the sin offering has been sacrificed. Why does he take off the garments and leave them there? Because Jesus cried out, it is finished. I read an old divine last week on a different topic altogether. He brought up the death of Christ and he had the most remarkable expression. 
he said he did death done. (laughs) That's what Jesus did. He did death done. Old John Owen, the death of death in the death of Christ. That's what Jesus did for us. And so we have a completed, efficient atonement that actually accomplishes and achieves its purpose. Now this is the way people think about atonement. This is what I heard growing up. Jesus died for sinners. Indiscriminate mass of people, he died for sinners, and he makes it available to you. All you have to do is is you have to believe, and then that atonement becomes effective for you. Now, I'm not questioning we have to believe. The scriptures are plain about that. But that way of expressing the atonement would be as if I were to say, well, here's a guy in prison, and there he is in his chains. And uh, so, so, so I come and I say, hey, I've got $5,000 to get you out of prison. All you have to do is break your chains first. And he says, what? Break my chains? I can't, I can't break my chains. Go pay the money and they'll let me out of the prison. Now that's what the atonement did. The atonement didn't, doesn't dangle the price before us and say, now you do something and then the atonement will become effective. No, no. The cross is the battering ram that breaks down the wall. Christ comes in and he breaks the chains. In his atonement, he frees the sinner. So that even our faith to receive Christ who atoned for our sins is purchased for us by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now I find that to be truly amazing, don't you? That is an efficient atonement. He actually purchased us from our sins. And now you see the high priest as you come to the end. And what does he do? He puts back on again those glorious garments, his high priestly garments. So that he may minister in his daily work as one who has offered the sin offering, and now it's as if he has ascended on high, and you can see him regaled in his glory. Well, let's bring it to a conclusion. Let me say a couple of things. Believers, we're coming to the table of the Lord this morning. And as you come to the table of the Lord, I want you to understand and see that no matter what your struggles have been, no matter what, what failings have been yours, You are completely justified. Again, verse 21, Aaron, look look at this. Did you notice this? Notice my inflection. And notice the word that I'm going to point out in these verses. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area. And he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Did you get the word? All. Not some, not most, not a few, not all but this one. Every single sin laid on Christ so that sinners might be saved and justified. We sing it, don't we? My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. 
Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul, my sin, all of it, nailed to his cross. I don't bear it anymore, not judicially, not in God's court of law. And the second thing before coming to the table, that means that I, you, should be grateful. What should melt our hearts? My sins are forgiven. I come gratefully. Because we read in Revelation 1.5, Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Glory to the Lamb. His sacrifice, his blood, his wounds, his cross. Now in verses 29 to 31, I'm not going to read it, in this chapter, God prescribes the day when this is to happen, and he says, you shall do no work on that day. You know why? Because you did no work to be accepted by God. You can do no work to be received by God. It's because your acceptance by God is through the sacrifice of Christ and is to you free, sovereign grace from the hands of a gracious God. It's not, see what I've done, look at what I do. People of God, we can slip into that as Christians. As Covenant Presbyterian Church, as we continue to minister the Word of the Lord, as we continue to serve, there's something wrong, always something wrong, when we talk more about what we're doing than what Christ has done. No work, no achievement, Christ did it all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Or as we sang Wednesday evening in Vespers, finished all the types and shadows of the ceremonial law, finished all that God has promised, death and hell no more shall awe. It is finished. It is finished. It is finished. Saints, from hence your comfort draw. Saints, from hence your comfort draw. But if you do not know Christ, you need a high priest. You need a Savior. You need a Redeemer. And there is only one who died for sins. Only one who was a sacrificial victim to remove the curse. May He break down the walls and set you free. Even now. Amen and amen.